We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Everybody, it's Steve with Sons Fidel. I'm coming at you once again with another, well, it's going to be a book review, kind of, or Ecclesiastes, uh, End Times type, de- a little bit of everything. You're going to love this. I-, I talked to Desmond long ago, and I had a, I didn't want to get off the phone with him, so we're going to have to force me to hit the stop button when we get done with an hour of this. So this is Desmond Birch, author of Trial, Tribulation, and Triumph. If you don't have this book, get it. Uh, you don't need to read it in one day because you won't be able to. You won't be able to, but links will be underneath the show notes. But anyways, welcome Desmond Birch. Desmond, how, how you doing, there, Steve? <laughs> can you hear me all right? I can hear you just fine. Thank all you right. for doing this. I'm I'm very pleased to be doing it. Let me mention one thing. When you go when you go to uh, get a copy of the book, if they're going to do it, if you go to Amazon, you'll find it's a good twenty to twenty five to thirty percent above the go on rate. Okay. And uh, I did not mean to pick on them, but once upon a time, they were a place you could get bargains. Now you're lucky if you can get a competitive price because they deliver to your front door. So who has to be competitive, right? Yeah, Exactly. Uh, if you want to get a competitive price, go directly to the publisher, Queen Publishing Company, or go to EWTN. They sell them direct. Or you can go to the Catholic store. Any number of online Catholic stores carry it. Yeah, I have them all in the show notes for everybody. Yeah, the most the most expensive outlet of all is Amazon. And now that I've whipped that horse to death, <laughs> I don't no, want to no, hear that's fine. They took me for about fifteen dollars because you've been warned. <laughs> I, no, that's fine. I tell everyone go. You'd rather go to the guy who's selling it. One reason because Amazon buys it cheap and then sells it at an upper price, so they get more money. And the person that writes the book or the company gets very little, anyways. Un dollar americano. Yeah, it's, yeah, they get you. So any book out there, go to the regular, go to the publishing company of who publishes it. You're probably helping a guy out that's a small business, anyways. Well, Queenship isn't isn't really that small a business, but uh, yeah. Uh, also, if you're a fan of EWTN, get it there because they do good work too. Right, right. So we didn't come on to talk about Amazon, though we could do that. <laughs> no, you don't want to get me started. Trust me. <laughs> so anyway, well, let's let's go into salvation history. Since there's a lot of people that start talking about we're in the end times, Desmond is pretty much the expert on this situation. Desmond, where are we in salvation history? We Why? are in the end times. According to St. John's definition in the gospel, right, and in the book of Revelation, the end times, according to St. John, and since he got his info from the Holy Spirit and from Jesus, it's most probably accurate, <laughs> began with, with the uh, Paschal mystery, with the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's for salvation. That's where the end times begin, and it ends at the end of time when the trumpet blows, and uh, all the bad guys go, oh, no! <laughs> and the good guys got yippy skippy, yeah. So it's it'll, you know, because at that point there's no more purgatory at the end of the world. It's you're either going to heaven or to hell. Yeah. And there are, one time I was doing I was doing a, a book interview on on uh, the bookmark show on EWTN. Doug Keck asked me. He says this was a long time, long almost twenty years ago. And he says <laughs> he said, well, what what are these people? What is this lifting up this this uh, you know, uh, what do they what do they call it? And I, I said, we call it by a lot of names. I said, do you want to know what the Catholic Church teaches? He says, yeah. I said, that lifting up is the people who have been found, who died in God, Jesus' love and friendship, God's love and friendship, and uh, did not reject his graces. They're lifted up immediately, okay, in time, even though you were on the verge of eternity versus time at that point. 
And he says, well, what happens to those who are left behind? And this, this just came out of my sort of Midwestern <laughs> genre. I said, they're going to be crispy critters. <laughs> they had to stop shooting the show. And I'm, I, did I really say that? <laughs> At yeah. a coffee shop, yes, but here? <laughs> and they were laughing as hard as you are. And they had to stop filming for about five minutes until everybody could settle down. <laughs> yeah, Doug's face was priceless. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, uh, so we're in those end times, somewhere between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the, obviously his ascension. And the end of time, where do we fit? Uh, I've been studying this subject for almost 50 years. I got really, really serious about it in 1973. Uh, and then we don't have enough time for me to tell you the story, except I got an emotional shock when something I said couldn't possibly happen anytime in the foreseeable future, certainly not in my lifetime, happened within about 90 days after that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I might as well tell it. Go I, for I, it. I, I was given a small book on Catholic prophecy, private prophecy, okay, uh, private revelation. And it said, and it was quoting canonized saints and blessed and all kinds of people, uh, saying that by by our time, sometime in, in our time, right about now, that uh, going by the chronology of events that have happened since, that uh, the uh, militant Muslims were going to be a problem again for the third time, and were and were uh, going to start causing problems all over the world globally, almost at one time, and then gradually ramp it up. And I said. This friend of mine, he invited me to lunch, and he says, I want you to read this book. I know you're tied into Washington, D.C. I just come back from working as a press secretary on a presidential campaign. Uh -huh. So he assumed I knew everybody in Washington, D.C., which wasn't true. <laughs> but I did know some valuable folks in the intel community. <laughs> and uh, he said, "He said, tell me what you think of this book. Uh, I, When we got, when I got back with him, I told him, I says, I met with him, and I you know, flipped across the table at a restaurant and I says, anybody take seriously the idea that those kind of guys can become a problem anytime in the 20th century. I said, they got to be smoking funny stuff because they don't have the slightest understanding of geopolitics today. <laughs> a couple of months later, the Arab oil embargo started, right? <laughs> we could, we almost couldn't go on vacation because you couldn't be sure you could get enough gas to drive from Denver to Seattle to see grandma and grandpa, right? <laughs> and you wouldn't be stuck somewhere out in the flatlands of Wyoming waiting for a fuel truck that the feds would send three months later. Yeah. At, any, at any rate, he invited me to lunch again. I'd forgotten about the whole thing. Get to lunch, and he says, "Oh, by the way, he reaches into his briefcase, well, spins it across the table towards us. Want to read it again?" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Maybe I ought to give that a second try." <laughs> give me a weekend; I'll look through. <laughs> <laughs> so that's I I've been into what the, what what the church calls eschatology, the study of the eschaton, the very end things. There's two levels to that. Our personal eschaton at the moment we die, or at, at the very end of time, uh, and uh, what what happens at the at the very end of time at the general judgment? Because we have our private judgment where we will get we'll get a preview of coming attractions or distractions, whichever the case may be, and uh, and 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 the other at the end. So when I ran into this, I realized there's another aspect to this. And by the way, I took a terrible uh, pounding from people who said, what are you doing putting St. Hild?" There wasn't any from her in, in the other book, but <clears throat> I'd become quite an expert in St. Hildegard, I thought. And I, I was pretty much. Uh -huh. And I, a lot of her stuff that hadn't been translated in English, I had to translate it from the Latin, and that took a substantial amount of time. I bet. Um, at any rate, uh, she... she, she uh, Clearly was was feat, was featured in, in this book, Trial, Tribulation, and Triumph, not massively, but heavily said, She's not even a canonized saint, Desmond. Why what's going on? Why, why? I said, someday she'll be a doctor of the church. And I told him all that. Not just a canonized saint, the doctor of the church. How do you know? I said, Well, one of them who was really ticking me off, I said, because I've forgotten more theology than you know after you live for the rest of your life and do nothing but study theology. How's that? <laughs> 
It's that better. Mean I know so much. It means you know so little. <laughs> I endeared myself deeply to him that day. But at any rate, uh, so a friend of my, well, husband of one of my nieces called me up one day because he knew this whole story. And he said, Uncle Dez, I said, yeah. He says, guess what just happened? I said, what? He says, Benedict the Sixteenth just declared Hildegard a canonized saint, and the neighbor is a doctor of the church. He says, "There's going to be a lot of guys running for cover now." I said, "No, they'll pretend it never happened." Trust me, I know the type. So, <laughs> so with that intro as as qualification, maybe I have some idea what I'm talking about. I've certainly got all the scar tissue to prove from my mistakes that I've learned some of these lessons the hard way, but I have learned them. Okay. I put together a list of all the writings of the fathers of the church, the doctors of the church, magisterial documents, etc., over the over the millennia now, uh, on what I, I call the steps of finalization, or between uh, the end uh, when it started in the end times, mm -hmm. and there's nine of them, and none of them have been completed yet, not one. I'm going to quickly just read through them. Okay. And people, when they hear about the first one, say, you say that hasn't happened yet? No, it's not me. Pope, Pi Pope St. Pius, no, he should be saint. He will be. <laughs> That's my next prediction. <laughs> Why is the Pope be named a saint? Okay. Uh, they, uh, Pius XII, John Paul II, and Pope Benedict XVI all clearly stated that this first step has not been completed. And what is it? Jesus nails it in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 13 through 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, gentibus in the Latin, mm -hmm. and then the end will come. Now, what does gentibus mean? And what do the nations mean in this context? The live, if, if you go into the, in the Greek, it, it means, uh, I'm not going to read right here off of the Greek, my Greek dictionary definitions. Uh, the word, the Greek word is genos. It can mean kindred, offspring, family, stock, tribe, nation, clan. <laughs> pretty, pretty broad definition. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The Latin word in, in the Novo Vulgata, the current uh, Latin text or typica of the Bi of the Bible, which John Paul II put his nominee Dominus on in 1978. Uh, it means gens, gentis. That's the nominative and the genitive. Uh -huh. It's the Roman Latin definition. Clan, related by birth or marriage and sharing a common name, tribe, people, family, nation, the chief of the gods. Uh, <laughs> fairly broad. Yeah. In other words, it doesn't mean Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, you know, Los Estados Unidos, yes. <laughs> UK. That's not what it is. Obviously, that's not what it's limited to in its definition, okay? So, uh, I will, towards the end, I'll give you the, the sources. They can look it up for themselves. Okay. But you will find John Paul II's comments on that in his 1990 and Redemptoris Misio. Mm -hmm. Okay? And you'll find Benedict uh, Pius XII's uh, in, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give those later. But uh, in, in, in one of his encyclicals, and Benedict XVI in a formal catechesis, he gave it St. John Lateran outside the walls in 2010. Pope, Pope Pius XII said it in 1951, and at that point he said, what the heck, we're going to go for the gold. We'll just name it now because I'll keep it short. He said, there are roughly <clears throat> two and a half billion people in the world today, and that's all there were then. Uh -huh. okay. uh, then, uh, and he says, and one billion of them still need to receive their initial evangelization. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 40% of the world, he said, still needed to receive its initial evangelization. Okay. John Paul II, when he, when he wrote Redemptoris Misio, he stated that uh, he, he talked about Asia primarily and talked about, he said, when the call for, the, for, the, for evangelization, I'm not just talking about the new evangelization of peoples, nations, tribes, cultures, etc., that had previously received their initial evangelization, who have subsequently, in great part, lost the faith. He was talking, first of all, about Western Europe at that time. Uh -huh. Could have been talking about us now, quite easily, and would be if he was alive. Um, and he said, 
the evangelization agenda as he says is still far from complete it's only just beginning uh that this formal statement you'll find in redemptorist music right in the first paragraph he says that part of it and then the john uh, pope benedict XVI, when he was talking about the need to evangelize etc etc at this uh, cate- great catechesis he had in saint john lateran He's, and he quotes all these quotes direct word for word from John Paul II or Redemptoris Misio. And he goes, i.e., in other words, he says, there are regions of this earth that have not yet received their initial evangelization. Now, after we're done with this program, be, be prepared for somebody to call up and say, well, there's a priest on every continent. I know that. There's at least one priest on every continent. No, that's not. That's, that's, not, what re, that's not what evangelization is. That's not what preaching the gospel is. Evangelizing, preaching the gospel has always been man to man or man to woman or woman to woman or man to or whatever. Right, okay. Right. It's face to face. It's not I love the work that EWTN does, but they're not for in the strict sense of the word evangelizing. They're planting seeds for evangelists. That's true. That's darn true. They're, they're in other words, they're breaking the ground yeah, yeah. for the evangelists to come in and plant the seeds. People in the Congo have hard time watching EWTN or even this. Yeah, or even hearing the shortwave radio. Right. Yes. There's <laughs> now they all said that that very first step that Jesus says is the very first step, uh, which until it is complete, none of the rest of the end time events can occur. Okay. The second one. Then at some point after the whole world has received its initial evangelization, St. Paul says, then comes the fullness of the Gentiles. Well, what's that? That's the point where the Gentiles, for the most part, who are going to come into the church have, for the most part, already come in. Okay, And what is that precursor to? St. Paul and other writers in the scriptures tell us. It's the Antichrist. Uh Excuse me, the great great apostasy comes after the fullness of the the, uh, Gentiles. Or revolt, whichever way you want to spell it. And what is that? There'll be a time when a very heavy majority, not all, but a very heavy majority of the baptized Christians will formally, that this is what apostasy is, in the definitions of the church, in the canon law of the church, in everything in the church. You'll hear people saying different now, opining that something could be practical apostasy. There's no such thing. From the first days of the church, apostasy means a baptized Christian publicly, formally, renounces the totality of his Christian faith. Uh Now, people have asked me, well, no, I'm, I'm not meaning to get your program shut down, but some, I, I'll tell the truth. A lot of people ask me, well, how about Joe Biden? <laughs> and I say, he's a baptized Christian? Yes. And what has he publicly done? Has he publicly announced his Christian faith? Hell no. He holds up his rosary and says, I'm a good Catholic. I carry this rosary. No, apostates don't do, don't do that. I'm not meaning to point any figures, but heretics sometimes do it too. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's not apostasy. A heretic and an apostate are not the same thing. Quick, short thing to, to, to point that out. The first great arch heretic that was worldwide, pretty much, was Arius, the uh, deacon Arius. In uh, 319, he, in, he was a deacon in Alexandria, Egypt. He publicly said, there was a time when the father was not yet father. What was the underlying message? Jesus isn't divine. He isn't co-natural with the Father. He isn't consubstantial with the Father. Uh, Consubstantialis is the Latin word for it. Uh, He's not co-eternal with the Father, etc. He's not God. Uh Okay? Uh, Now, once you've said that Jesus isn't God, wouldn't that qualify somebody as an apostate? Not according to the Catholic Church. That's why they called Arius a heretic and an arch heretic, not an apostate. But about a century, well, a little bit later, we run into uh, Julian the apostate, about a century and a half, a century and a half, or three quarters. He was an orphan. He was adopted, taken in by a Christian family, received a tremendous education, became a great leader in the Western Roman Empire. At that point, they were, the, the Roman Empire had been broken up into different blocks and the, with, with claimants to being the emperor in the, these various parts. And he somehow came, after he became emperor of the, of the Western Empire, 
he became enamored of the idea that, you know, all this, all this division has come in since Christianity. I know what. If we want to put the empire back together, all we got to do is bring back all the pagan mystery cults <laughs> and all the pagan idol worship. And that'll bring everything, and I'll be the head of it all. <laughs> feel like, feel like Dodgeball. That's a brave move. Colin see how that pays off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He sold his birthright for not even anything as nutritious as a bowl of lentil soup. <laughs> Just for an ego trip. Okay. Uh, now, the church calls him an apostate. Still does to this day. Julian the apostate. You take any church, even civilian history courses. Julian the apostate. That's why he's listed. Why didn't the people the church call him a heretic? Because he wasn't just a heretic. He had completely renounced public. He was a baptized Christian. Was publicly and, and, and uh, fully repudiated the entirety of his Christian faith. That's what an apostate is. Yeah. You have people running around all over the place today. And many of them are good people. That's the big problem. There aren't a whole bunch saying it, but there's some saying it who are good men. I know some of them. And I respect them and I love them. But they're really, really wrong on this. And this isn't me saying so. This is the church's definitions I'm giving you. You find the same thing in a Catholic encyclopedia. I mean, this is not exactly a deep, dark secret. What the church says apostasy is. Um, at any rate, uh, after, after the uh, fullness of the Gentiles and the, uh, the, gr the great apostasy, then that sets the stage for the Antichrist, okay? Uh -huh. yeah. uh, we, all, I don't, we don't need to go into that. Any, we, we all know what that is, I'm sure. Okay? That sets the stage for the coming of the two witnesses that John talks about uh -huh. in the book of Revelation, okay? God's going to send these two witnesses to Jerusalem to confront the Antichrist to his face. They do... They, they are very convincing with both the Gentiles and the Jews. And the Antichrist has them slain right in the streets of Jerusalem and orders that their bodies be left there for three days uh, to rot, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end of those three days, everybody in Jerusalem hears a voice from heaven and says, telling these, these two witnesses to arise. And they do, and of course to say that Antichrist is a little frightened <laughs> probably an understatement. And one of the oral traditions of the church, it's not a dogma of the church, but it's a pretty common uh, uh, oral tradition, which comes from the very earliest days of the church, is that at that point, the Antichrist, and this, this could have come from the, the oral teaching. St. Paul tells the Christians, uh, therefore, brethren, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions handed on teachings which you've received from us, either by word of mouth or by our le letter or our word of mouth. Mm -hmm. In other words, either our oral preaching or letters from us, either one, hold it all. They're all of equal importance. And the er earliest uh, tradition with a small T, not the capital T of the church is, that this was a very common passed on belief that they got from the apostles, but it's never been declared to be a dogma by the church, okay? Is that, uh, is that uh, these two witnesses are basically Enoch and Elias. Uh -huh. St. Paul talks about it. He says, Enoch didn't die. He's taking strength. Well, what's been going on ever since? Well, a number of, and I try to stay away from private prophecy, so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take that for any further. In a, if I've got all week, you're going to find private prophecy, a couple of hundred pages of it from Canonized Saints, Blessed, Venerable, etc., church-proof sources in TTT. But we're going to stick with just public, uh, this uh, sacred scripture and sacred tradition for the okay. most part today. Uh, okay. After the death of the Antichrist, uh, and excuse me, after after uh, Enoch and Elias publicly humiliate him, and he kills him, and then they, they, they rise up. Uh, the what is stated is that uh, he then will try to sim emulate simulate the uh, ascension of Jesus. And through some magical powers from Satan, he's able to rise up into the sky from the ground. <laughs> and then when it says in scripture that this God will destroy him with the breath of his mouth, right? Uh -huh. Well, the breath says to Michael the Archangel, go get him. <laughs> <laughs> and he does, and he nails with a lightning bolt, and the, the Antichrist falls screaming all the way to the ground, and the ground opens up, and down he goes with many of his key followers. Anyway, that's not dogma. 
that is pretty common teaching amongst the fathers and doctors of the church uh-huh. and other and other ecclesial writers. Okay, so what happens after the Antichrist croaks? Because everybody's like, wait a second, the vast majority of the Gentiles we followed him. He was a phony. The vast majority of the Jews they follow. There's something else we got to cover. Uh, the the common teaching of the fathers and doctors of the church is the Antichrist will be Jewish. Uh-huh. Why? Because it's logical. The, Jew, the Jews didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah, right? The vast majority of them. A number of them, obviously, most, all, almost all the apostles were Jews, okay? Uh, the, the point is, at that, at that, at that point, um, the, uh, the, the Jews are going to turn on the Antichrist because they're going to realize that they, they've been snookered. Now, how did the, how did the Antichrist fool him? He didn't fool him. He had to have proof he was a Jew. Why? Because the Antichrist would never accept anything but a Jew as the Messiah, would they? Uh-huh. And he claims to be the Messiah. Okay, so he fool, he fools the gullible uh, Gentiles with, with fake miracles and, <laughs> and and a lot of fancy fast talk, and he fool, fool, fools the Jews by telling them, oh, no, 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 no. The other guy was a phony. I'm the real deal. <laughs> and they find out they've been had. And they're like, wait a second. Anakin Elias had to have had this right. Uh, and that is where the mass conversion of the Jews comes from. Okay? okay. At that point in time. Shortly after the death of the Antichrist, according to, if, if, you, can, if you can read Latin, you can read it in the original Latin. Or you can get the, my translations in, in uh, TTT, Trial to Relation to Triumph, of St. Robert Bellman, a, a doctor of the church, the last doctor of the church to do a serious in-depth study in the eschatological teachings of the church. And he states that the, the fathers and doctors of the church, and he had, he, he had, he had studied them all his life, uh, he said, are they are... Uh, Virtually unanimous, but he's, they don't all talk about it. He says that uh, the, uh, the 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 end of the world, when the trumpet will blow, Jesus will come. Happens statim. That's the Latin word he uses. He's writing in Latin. That means at once, immediately, or almost immediately, very short period of time. But they say, well, how short? And I've thought I had to think about that for years. Well, it, it doesn't say how short. They said, well, how long? I said, obviously, from the context, they're going to be given a chance to convert. And the, the, a lot of the fathers and doctors say it. They'll be given a chance to convert sincerely on their heart to Christ, to repent and convert. However long that takes, that's what the short time will be. But the Holy Spirit, Spirit could easily send them all an equal amount of grace or whatever, however much they deserved. It wouldn't have to take very long at all. Right. And they'll make a choice. Right. Either up or down. Either you're going to be lifted up or you're going to be left behind. <laughs> Cook it. So that covers the intro to this stuff. Um, where are we right now? The whole world hasn't even received its initial evangelization yet. So we're in step one, okay? But where in step one are we? Well... If you look around, it's almost impossible to stay out of private prophecy at this point, but I'm going to, okay? Gotcha. Because you don't want to mix and match in a one-hour presentation where you don't have time to clarify yeah. which is dogma, which is doctrine, which isn't, okay? So I will give you my best guesses or estimates. Right now, the, the countries of the West, not in the East, this is not happening in the East. Uh-huh. In the Eastern Christendom, okay, in the Eastern Church, and I'm not talking about the Eastern Orthodox, I'm talking about Eastern Catholics. Right. In large measure, they're, they're hanging in there, like gorillas hanging out of a, hanging out of, out of a, a branch. They're not, they're not turning on Christ the way we are doing in the West. My personal opinion of this is that we are reaping the harvest of a culture which has been filthy rich for so long, it has lost its faith. Look at the history of the Old Testament, Jews. Uh-huh. They'd be poor as church mice, on their knees, 
just us, Lord, you and us. And then, but once they got flush, <laughs> got, got some coins jingling in the pocket, or especially a lot of coins, and lots of time for leisure, especially if they had slaves. Who needs him? I did this myself. Come on. I worked my tail off. I did this. Mm-hmm. That begins to happen on a massive scale to the Jews over and over and over. And it's happened in the West of the Gentiles over and over and over. We're just going through another recycle of it. Okay. Yeah. It is more power. If you want to take a look at Renaissance Western Europe before the Catholic Counter Reformation, I mean, in the, in, a, in the Renaissance, you couldn't get much more corrupted by money than the, than the vast majority of them were. I mean, yeah. Look at the Borgias. They aren't. They weren't solo examples. Uh, so we're going through another cycle of this. It's not the new under the sun, just new doers. New doers, yes, and and, and slightly different di- different ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. The additional thing in this case is uh, there is a uniform educational system that has been put through in the West by the same group of people, the same group of people who are financing all of the chaos that's currently happening in the United States and Canada. And if anybody follows the news at all knows what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. And if they don't, maybe just watch the news for a couple of nights and figure it out. <laughs> Check into Cloud Planet News. I got you covered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's uh what what happens is my father taught me an expression that came from way back, way back. In, in Western European culture, people cannot stand prosperity. We have this expression even in the business world. If you're dealing in a business deal with a guy who's a self-made gazillionaire or millionaire, or used to be able to say millionaire, but million bucks isn't what it used to be even 10 years ago, right? <laughs> and we got slight inflation anymore. It's like, yeah, yeah. They're, billion. They're, it's like lost their powers. One billion. Uh, billion ain't good enough. You got to go billion. <laughs> they're destroying the buck. They know that's the easiest way to cook. Because what do we got left now? A lot of faith out there? No. All we've got is material wealth. Take the material wealth away of Americans. And what do you think will happen? If they wound up as poor as tribes in Nigeria all of a sudden, what do you think would happen? They'd hit their knees a little bit more. Huh? They'd hit their knees a little bit more. Yes. God loves us. That's why he's going to let that happen. People say, why all this bad stuff? Why all this bad stuff? I've told my, some of my own kids this. I said, when pe- what happens when you tell a lifeguard long enough, we don't need you. We're all expert swimmers. Get out of here. Get out of town. He leaves. What happens with half an hour, somebody's on the bottom. Because <laughs> there's nobody watching for the guy who didn't come up from that dive who hit his head on the on the, on the bottom because he went straight in and didn't snap his back to come up, okay? All, all sorts of stuff. So when you tell God long enough that you don't need him, you think he's a pain. Uh, he's always demanding things like morality and telling you what to do. And he lets nature take its course. And then after a, a while, he comes back and says, how's that working for you guys? Yeah. <laughs> and the smart ones go, it's not working at all. Yeah. So what are you going to do? About Toby Keith song. How do you like me now? <laughs> we don't know what to do. Really? That wasn't what you were saying last year. <laughs> you don't know what to do? Oh, you've learned a lot, haven't you, in a year? Okay. Now do you want my help? <laughs> You get one chance to say yes. <laughs> or it's going to get worse and worse. And you're going to go another five years into the tank even further yeah. and see whether you're ready to say yes then. That's the way God has worked. And he doesn't do that out of meanness. He does it because it's the only, we're dumber in a box of rocks, most of us. I mean, a lot. Some, it's easy for a lot of men think they're really, really smart compared to even an angel. They're dumber in a box of rocks, let alone God, okay? But they really think, you give a kid four years of college education now where he, instead of being educated, he gets propagandized with political propaganda and sociological propaganda, and he can't find a job. He can't. They give him the fish eye even when he applies at McDuck's. <laughs> because, and here's the reason. Because they figure if he's got four years of college, he probably thinks he's smart. He probably thinks he knows it all. 
and he's unteachable. Yeah, Jeff Allen is a Protestant comedian. He convert convert from atheism. Jokingly says that the teenager is God's will, a God's way of getting back at adults. Saying, "How would you like to have somebody creating your own image and likeness and denies you?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that too. I've never heard it before. Where they do like it, teenagers. I believe teenagers are God's revenge on mankind. I really do. I think. I think one day the good Lord was looking down over His creation and said, let's see how they like it to create someone of their own image who denies their existence. Because <laughs> I have read the Bible more than once, cover to cover, and it, it never mentions how old the devil was when he rejected God's authority. If I'm guessing an age, I'm saying 16. Um, so, basically... What do we do now? There's only one thing that will do any good. And you already know what it is, and probably most of your listeners do. But he's not looking for well, some more prayer than before. Most private prophecy and public prophecy state the same thing. I'll put, just put it that way, okay? He's looking at this point for some real conversion on the part of the people he's showered with graces. That's us in particular, baptized Christians. Now, where does that leave us Catholics? Well, since we got this, the Protestants have most of them, not all, have the graces of the, of the sacrament of baptism, okay? But the rest of them, confession, the Eucharist, uh, the, the, the blessing to come with the sacrament of marriage. It is a sacrament. All the sacraments, they don't have. And where does that leave us? This is Desmond Birch talking now. This is not God. This is my, I've been mulling this over for over half a century. Uh, and yes, I am that old. I was born before the Japanese attacked on Pearl Harbor, for those of you who are wondering how old I am. Uh, so I've had plenty of time to thunk this through. Uh Basically, one piece of scripture seems to answer it all. He to whom much is given of him, much is expected. We've gotten all the sacramental, ordinary grace goodies. So where should we be compared with our Protestant friends? Well, wouldn't it make sense that we should be so darned in love with Jesus that they'd want to have what we got? Am I there? No, I'm working on it, but I'm a lot closer than I was 10 years ago. I can tell you that. Uh, and just because I'm 80 doesn't mean I got one foot in the grave and the other one on a banana peel, okay? <laughs> God's given me a fairly sound body. I, unless you see me grab my chest and keel over and say, this is the big one, Steve. <laughs> I'm probably gonna make it through the program, okay? Uh, that, was, that wasn't a challenge, dear Lord. <laughs> anyway, uh, the popes have all said what we have to do. And how many Catholics do you see doing it? Each one of you who is listening to this, let me ask you a question. What I'm about to tell you, are you doing it? Are you and have you? I'm talking about evangelizing like the apostles and the disciples that Jesus sent out did on the street corners, in the highways and the byways. Does everybody within five, 10 circular blocks of you know you are a Catholic and an evangelizing Catholic? Have you been door to door announcing the good news to them and telling them all the good things that Jesus has, has done for you in your life? And you can't fake it. If he hasn't got, get, if you can say hey, all these great things he's done for me, you got, you've got to have, have some names that are specific. And if you think about it very long at all, you say, oh yeah, he did do that. And then there was that one back. It, it'll come to you if you if you start looking. And if you're if you're enfeebled, uh, like me due to age, uh, <laughs> ask him to he'll he'll help you out. 
he'll give you the kick in the rump that'll remind you about all the times he said he saved your bacon and there's every one of the popes Pius the 12th who talked about the issue Pius the 12th also Paul the sixth also John John Paul II and Benedict the 16th had screamed that all the efforts of the church not a hundred percent but the heavy emphasis of the church in our time has to be evangelization. That has got to be where it's at. If you want to know where you sit right now, if you're if you if you don't if you do not evangelize, he's going to ask you when you die, why didn't you? Especially if you heard this little broadcast. Because if you didn't know it before, <clears throat> you know it now. You read Redemptoris Misio from John Paul II, 1990, and uh and uh, Pius the uh, Pius the Twelfth from 1951, and I'm, I've been trying to fake it because I'm, I'm being of an advanced age. I can't come up with the title. <laughs> I'm trying to go, come on, come on, guardian angel, tell me, give me the title. I know it. Preconis. That's the second one. Preconis. Uh, okay, and John Paul II, Pope Benedict XVI. 20 years after that in 2010, St. John Lateran outside the walls. They also, what he said, there, there are regions. I mean, he's talking about entire regions of the earth that have not yet received their initial evangelization. And you'll find people like, that'll say like, where? Well, there's so many of them, they couldn't list them because it's not nations or, 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 in, or countries that they're talking about. In many cases, for instance, you go to all of the stands uh, Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, all, all of them, okay? They cover a massive part of Asia, right? Yeah. Okay. The church has gotten very little headway, had been unsuccessful with evangelization for one reason. Another religion got there first, Islam, and its militant members have had a heyday creating martyrs. Now, there's been a lot of martyrs produced for it, but... Uh, that's the main reason we have that that Asia is not in much, in much of it hasn't hasn't been uh, evangelized at little spots here and there. The regions he's talking about are all the places outside of those little shells where the, where it's been when gotten. When somebody say, "Well, he doubles, he ends broadcasting in there," we already covered that. That's not evangelization. That's that is not what the church has always done. Jesus showed when he talked about this about you know go out and, and talk to all the nations he was talking about face to face he wasn't talking about using radio bands yeah. or anyway for sending letters okay face to face so yeah the radio is well, good for us to get a little motivation yeah, yeah. but if you're going yeah. on a sales pitch you need to be face to face with the person you're selling to exactly and and the uh the airwaves can be good for catechization to people who are interested, okay? Yeah, yeah. But the catechization does not require a face-to-face, -face, but preaching the gospel does. Uh -huh. That's why the church is so careful to only have priests preach the gospel or deacons, okay, or during ordained clergy. Uh, and, and the preaching that comes after it, okay? And if you, if you were in a parish where they've been allowing somebody besides a priest or a deacon to preach, that's been getting rarer and rarer in the last 10, 15 years. Uh, you need you need to attend services in another parish after you've instructed the the, uh, the pastor about what's wrong with that. At any rate, uh, there are so many aspects to this that you know. I this is really a, a, sh a short breve of even of what I normally do. In, uh, in weekend seminars and things like that. Usually, this material, uh, when it's done right, takes at least a whole weekend. Yeah. Uh, but we can, we're can we covering the basics here. Um, we can expand on that in another show down the road, too. Just, yeah, give a little cliff note. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's all we're doing. Is, that's a great example. Cliff notes. Uh, now, You've heard people tell you that you shouldn't be out there evangelizing Jews. That's going to come as a tremendous surprise to Jesus, isn't it? 
That's ninety percent of what he did. Yeah, I like to see his face. Really. <laughs> and you hear some surprising folks say things like that. Yeah. I mean, maybe if you know the lay of the land currently, it wouldn't surprise you. But but uh, there are some people who should know better who have been telling people, no, no, you cannot, you cannot evangelize a Jew. You don't try to choke your Christian faith down, but. If he seems interested, if it, if you're having lunch with a Jew and he said, who says grace, you or me? And he goes ahead and says you, well, it's in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And you don't search the, 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 the sign of the cross and you give the, the blessing in Jesus' name. That is a form of evangelization right there uh-huh. because that guy's going to be wondering, where does he get that kind of moral courage? Yeah. From the sacraments. That's where you get it. There, uh, there are uh, today. There's a great article in the Catholic thing, okay, and it's on. Just this morning, I found it. It's up talking about the sins of presumption, okay, of of, of Catholics and everybody else thinking the Catholics have been brainwashed into this. There weren't many Catholics when I was a boy bought into this stuff. Well, since Jesus. Uh, prayed that we all might be one and he was one with the father and for baptized we're one with him then uh then we're really kind of god already aren't we <laughs> and uh and everybody whether they're baptized or not they're all god's creatures all god's creatures get to heaven right no 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 you will you will hear some funny voices talking about universal salvation yeah. these days and that's been going on now for about 25, 30 years. And I'm not meaning to pick on anybody. But if that were true, would the Catechism of the Catholic Church say that all the souls of those who die in the state of moral sin go immediately to hell? And it's and it is forever. <laughs> there are gonna be a lot, there's a lot of people for 1900 years that were wrong then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they see, and then and people will say, some people will say, yeah, but that doesn't say there's anybody in hell. Gee, does the church wa- waste her time? using up face in, uh, space in a catechism talking about something that doesn't exist yeah. come on wake up and smell the coffee let me wave the coffee cup under your nose smell the sulfur <laughs> <laughs> yes there's you've got that kind of false doctrine I'm calling it what it is it's false doctrine flat out and I don't care whether you hinted at it in a book called Dare We Hope or, <laughs> or whether your well-known TV evangelist names are escaping me. <laughs> that is not what the church teaches now, nor has she ever taught that. Uh-huh. Origen taught that, final apocatastasis, and he was condemned for it. There's an, I'm going to pull this book out if I can find it. It's by Pope. Ah, yes. Crossing the Threshold of Hope. I didn't even plan on this. It's just this book, book is one of my most valuable uh, possessions because it answers that question directly. And <laughs> I'm going to read you Pope John Paul II's answer to a man he loved dearly who was babbling the hooey that it's possible it all go to heaven. <laughs> he says, uh, Eschatology has already begun. Is it okay if I just read out of here? Oh, yeah, go for it. Eschatology has already begun with the coming of Christ. The ultimate eschatological event was his redemptive death and his resurrection. This is the beginning of a new heaven and a new earth. It starts even then, okay? The end times begin with that, okay? For everyone, life beyond death is connected with the affirmation. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And then... I believe in the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. This is Christocentric eschatology, not homocentric. <laughs> he doesn't say that I added the not homocentric, okay? In Christ, God revealed to the world that he desires everyone to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. But he doesn't force anybody. That's me adding that. The phrase from the first letter to Timothy is fundamentally important, is, is of fundamental importance for understanding and preaching the last things. If God desires this, 
if for this reason God has given his son, who in turn is at work in the church throughout the Holy Spirit, can man be damned? Can he be rejected by God? The problem, John Paul II was a diplomat, a master diplomat. The problem about hell has always disturbed great thinkers in the church. <laughs> so he gives them the elevated status of great thinkers <laughs> before he yanks them back down to reality, okay? Uh, beginning with Origen, who talked at uh, a uh, final apocalypse stage, is that all souls in, uh, in the end will be reconciled, to which some of his contemporaries said, Oh, then that poor devil Satan, he's not condemned to hell forever. <laughs> they just laughed their fannies off at, 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 at poor Origen. Um, and that wasn't the only thing that Origen said that wasn't really kosher. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Also, that all, God created all souls that would ever be, and he, he kept, keeps them in a giant hopper. <laughs> and plugs one in each time there's a, one is con, there's a conception. That's not what the church teaches. The church teaches that at the moment of conception, God creates a unique soul right then for that individual. Right. But then, who cares what the church teaches? If you're an enlightened 20th or 21st century theologian, yes, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If you're a theologian, right? Uh, the problem of hell has always disturbed great thinkers of the church, beginning with origin. And came to our time with Mikhail Bulgakov and Hans Urs von Baldassar. That guy. <laughs> that guy. In point of fact, the ancient councils rejected the theory of a final apocatastasis. I'm losing my place here. According to which the world would be regenerated after destruction and every creature would be saved. A theory which indirectly abolished hell. Okay. But the problem remains, can God, who has loved man so much, permit the man who rejects him to be condemned to eternal torment? And yet, the words of Christ are unequivocal in Matthew's Gospel. He speaks clearly of those who will go to eternal punishment. Matthew 25, 46. Who will these be? The church has never made any pronouncement in, in that regard. Okay, at any rate, that's, that's got, that's about as as concise as you need to get to deal with the idea anybody who's telling you that everybody could be saved or it's okay to pray that everybody's saved i don't care whether a butcher a baker a candlestick maker or a parish priest or a bishop uh, they don't know what they're talking about and that doesn't mean we should be poking fun at them or ridiculing them pray for them and be kind to them if you run into one on a street corner treat him with love and then have the courage to say but what, what about what John Paul II said in Crossing the Threshold of Hope? He says he can't believe in, in, that everybody is saved. It's not something you can pray for. I promise you, with the help of the Holy Spirit, if I ever run into him in person, not, not in front of a crowd where I'd humiliate him, but privately, I'll say it to him. Somebody needs to do it. I remember uh, there was a guy, he's an apologist uh, long ago, said that uh, every time he'd get out of the car or go into a building, he would say a prayer saying, please, if there's any way that I can evangelize somebody, let that door open. He said every time that happened, every time he'd go in to just buy some bread, somebody would say something that there was an opportunity to say you're Catholic, give him a miraculous medal or something. We don't even do that something anymore, right? It's almost like, eh. Oh, well, we'll just go by. Hey, how's your day? Eh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no way cares. That isn't gonna. That isn't gonna pass the mustard drill when I croak. After what I've just said, what do you think would happen to me if I ran into a parish priest or a bishop who was saying that there was universal salvation? It was okay to believe in it, and I sung dumb. Uh -huh. What? His. I'm not saying it's sure, but. Is it possible that his salvation might hang on me telling him, you're violating one of the oldest teachings of the church? Mm -hmm. And if that happened, it wouldn't with that man because he's already gone. Well, no, the other one uh, that the, we met, we talked, well, a certain ecclesiastic, okay, in this country that, uh, that will go unnamed because yeah. I don't want to embarrass anybody publicly. If that happened to him, what would Jesus, knowing what I know, what would Jesus have to say to me if I'd never said anything when I ran into him? And if, if there'd been time and opportunity to say something. 
what would my judgment be? Would I be told, you let him, you let him go there, so why didn't you join him for eternity? If, and no, somebody, can, if he honestly doesn't know any better than stuff like that and can't, can't think it through, he's not going to go to hell for it, okay? But he get a long time in purgatory for not listening because other people have told him that, okay? But that, would that leave me off the hook yeah, nah. to add my voice? No, not for a New York minute, it would not. Uh, Steve Ray has a good one I remember from years ago. It's all I've always remembered it since he since he said I saw him do it live. He mentioned about uh his judgment day and not telling his friends about the the faith. And he said he imagine sitting there in judgment day and all his friends are walked out in front of him and they all look at him going, You didn't tell me about this? While they're getting dragged, he goes, what, what's going to happen to me after I see all my friends dragged out in front of me? And I never had the courage to tell my friends about this. As one priest says, we have the we have the cure for hell. What would you have if you had the cure for cancer? You tell everybody about it. I'll give you another one. I've had dreams about this one. And usually dreams are for, for forerunners of reality. Often are forerunners of something that's going to happen down the road or something that happened a long time ago. Is that I run into a Nancy Pelosi or a Joe Biden or any number of other Catholic politicians who are promoting abortion, the murder of babies. Let's call it what it is. It's murder. Uh, and the message has come through to me again and again is I'm supposed to say to them with as much love as possible, I don't want anything bad to happen to you. Do you know what's going to happen if you don't repent and convert when you die? All the little fingers of every baby that you were part of who was murdered in the most excruciating, painful ways is going to be there at the judgment, pointing the finger right in your face and at your heart saying, you murdered me. What are you going to say to Jesus? They really need somebody to say that to them. They do. Now, if you say it with hate, they'll know hate when they hear it. Yeah. You don't want to go Westboro Baptist on anybody. No, no. It's There's... There's, that's another one of the major points that I make in these seminars. I close all of them with, close to the end, and say, you've got to do whatever you're going to do in evangelization and witnessing with love. Because nobody is ever converted with hatred or judgmentalism. If I think I'm better than Nancy Pelosi, then I better keep my damn mouth shut. Because it's going to come through yeah. that I'm that I'm just another damn Pharisee. Okay, if I have that, if I think I'm better than Joe Biden, just because I've never tried to get get some baby killed, if I think that makes me better than him, I don't know his background. I don't know well how well he was formed in the faith. I don't know whether he got a, de a, a decent catechetical background. I do know Father Drynan, uh, another lovely Jesuit. Uh, went to work on him and the Kennedys and all that bunch to convince them that the church really never condemned abortion from the moment of conception. It all started with the quickening with the first time the mother heard felt the baby kick. That was, that's that's pure honky. It's, to use an old Irish expression, that's a load of road apples. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, I never sold anything with yelling at somebody. No, no, no. If they see that you love them, they can take almost anything from you. If they see that you don't, they can't take anything from you. Why? Because you're denying Jesus Christ in your, in your, in your soul, in your heart, and the Holy Spirit. If you, if you speak with hate or, or pharisaical judgment, about people doesn't even have to be hate. If I act or think or talk like a Pharisee, don't 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 do it. As with John of the Cross says, where there is where there is hate or evil, put love. Where you know you got to put love into it. Where he got arrested and condemned by others, he's Saint Paul says it. Put was it hot coals on their heads? Yeah, hot coals of love on their heads. Yeah, it's uh, it's a hard thing to do, and you can't do it. I can't do it. 
The only person who can do that is the Holy Spirit. And he only will do that. I will tell you a story. How much time do we have? Uh, story time, go for it. <laughs> we'll wrap it up after. Years ago, uh, I would say, what was it? it was years ago, less than 20, more than 10, you know, somewhere in there. I was, I, I, I was in a prayer community. And on Good Friday, we all went at our at our parish to the Good Friday services, you know, the kissing and the cross and all of that and the scripture reading and all that. Afterwards, we went to one of the members' home and where there'd be further scripture reading, and this time a big cross, not a little one held by the priest, uh, that that everybody, they could take as long as they wanted uh, telling Jesus they accepted his cross and their own. Most importantly, their own. They get, would give them. Some, uh, and there's no, there's not time and there wouldn't be any point in going into it, but some pretty horrific things that happened to me in my life. Uh, starting when I was eight and, eight and nine years old. And it wasn't child abuse, okay? In case anybody's wondering that. It was in, in one sense, but not not the kind that, you know, this, this thought of so commonly. Uh, we, we used to get beat up. up, up we got beat up on a daily basis going to St. Mary's grade school, the kids at the government school in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, some days it didn't happen, but most days it did. Five to 10 to one odds every every time. And the nuns told us, turn the other cheek. Uh, the pastor and my father says, this is a man's world. You gotta stand, you gotta be, you gotta, Make them pay a price. They want to come at you. They, if they realize they're going to get a shine or a bloody nose or whatever. This went on and on and on. And then one day, uh, they dragged me into an alley with my sister running into the candy store to ask this man to help. They had a hacksaw blade, and they were going to they were going to take it to my face once they had me down on the ground. What saved it was this big Scott. I don't know. He, he, was, he was a giant veteran of World War II came boiling out of the back of this candy store. And I saw, all of a sudden I saw bodies flying through the air. He was not picking them, throwing them off. He was booting them off. And he, <laughs> they weren't getting up real fast after they hit the ground. <laughs> he lifted me up and dusted me off and took me into the store. I was so, I I can't go into the psychology of it. It's, it would take too long. When I blocked that, I did a mental block in that. Within five years i could not remember it uh it was it was uh too scary i was eight years old uh, -huh. uh at any rate that and some other things that happened to me in my adult life which weren't as bad as that but they were bad enough um i'd come to the conclusion that god loved everybody else but he didn't love me because how could he have let those things happen to me if he loved me well, I came to that conclusion when I was eight. Uh, father and, and dad were right. It's a man's world. God isn't going to take care of you. You got to take care of yourself. And I was beyond the age of reason. So that was a sin. I, I don't I don't think I was capable of mortal sin in that vein because I, I, I didn't realize I was doing something wrong. You have to know you're doing something wrong before it can be a mortal sin. Mm -hmm. But anyway, all the way into my 60s, that had been with me and I could not get rid of it. And uh, when we would go into the private house in the parish, where was just a, a peck on the cross and you're gone, right? And I wipe it and you're gone. It was cool. But going up and kneeling down in front of that cross, all I could see was my past crosses and wondering if I say yes, what will the next one be? And I didn't have the moral courage to face it. So then one night I turned around of the average Good Friday, I would turn around halfway to somebody's house because it was never to our house because uh, our place wasn't big enough. I'd turn around or stop like I couldn't face that and I'd go, no, I couldn't. They'd wonder where I was and they'd call and say, we're waiting for you. Why aren't you here? This one night I went out there and uh, we were all sitting down, all except the one who was kneeling waiting our turn 
And I thought, oh my God, oh my God. And I I told him on the way out or the, the day before that, okay, I'll, I'm turning my life completely over to you. And I, I can't deal with this anymore. I knew it was coming. Uh, and I'll try to keep that promise. You give me the grace. And I meant it, but I was still terrified. And all of a sudden, I noticed I wasn't irritated, upset, frightened uh, at all. And all of a sudden, this sense of peace was coming over me. And I thought, this is, this is funny. And, uh, uh, nah, I don't have that kind of peace. When's the other shoe going to drop? I remember thinking that. When's the other shoe going to drop? And it didn't. And all of a sudden, I was back. I was looking at me from behind. And seeing everybody else in that room. And a feeling of total, absolute peace that I had not had since I was a little boy. That came over me. And I, I kept, when I was driving home, I thought, this is, oh, yeah, I go up to the cross. You're supposed to just balance yourself and kiss it, you know, and I did not make this decision. This was, had nothing to do with me. My arms flew around it. Holy Spirit. I was never able to evangelize right till then. That's because I was holding something big back. Huh. You can't evangelize if you're holding something big back. He wants all of us. Every one of us. He wants all of you. Every bit of you. And whether you you can't do that for yourself. He, he, he gives you the grace. I could tell you two more stories. That similar pace coming over me when, when I made, when, when the Holy Spirit inter, intervened. Someday in private, I'll tell you about it. They're even, they're even wilder than this. <laughs> <laughs> Reconciliation with a high school bully buddy. He wasn't my buddy, he was a bully. Uh, after 50 years, that happened in an instant uh -huh. like that at a class reunion. Uh, and it was, I didn't even know what had happened. Anyway, I ramble. Oh, he did ramble. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay, how are we fixed for time, Amos? Now, we're going to wrap it up there so we can uh, get it out there for others. We'll do it again another time. How about that? That sounds fine. Well, Desmond, appreciate, appreciate that. Uh, I was going to say, as always, we've talked before, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, like I said, we could go on for hours. He's, he's that great to listen to. So we'll do it again. Uh, again, sh uh, uh, show notes underneath. We'll have the links to the books. And, uh, yeah, send some, send some questions. Maybe we'll do it for the next show. I have some questions for Mr. Birch. How about that? Not, not, not Mr. Birch, Desmond. All right, we'll go for Desmond. I'm sorry. Desmond's good. <laughs> well, appreciate Desmond. Have a good evening. Same to you. And to all, all of the people who are watching this, I wish you completely the love of Christ in your hearts and the peace that come, the Holy Spirit can give you, which if you've never experienced that kind of peace, ask him and he'll deliver if you, if you answer the graces. Amen I, to that. Yeah. All right, we'll talk soon. All right.